If you've been looking for a comprehensive Bible school curriculum that explores redemptive realities in Jesus Christ grounded in the Word of God, look no further. The goal of this podcast is to spread the life-transforming Word of God throughout the world for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ in what Jesus has accomplished for us through His death, burial, resurrection, and seating at the right hand of God the Father. There's such an untapped potential for Christians to enter into their glorious inheritance in Jesus Christ. Together we will discover what Jesus has done for us by providing such a great salvation and how to appropriate the promises of God in our lives. Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 31, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Each podcast season will cover one of the books that I have compiled over the years. You can find a complete listing of my Christian education material on my website at www.wordinspire.com. You're welcome to download these ebooks for free in PDF format for your own personal or ministry use. So let's explore these biblical truths and principles together that will absolutely transform our lives. God bless. Welcome to the Word of Life study series, Why Some Have a Small Harvest. Here's an important point to consider. The people of God are reaping a harvest, but they are much smaller than they need to be. They are reaping a small harvest, when they should be reaping a large harvest instead. Let's look at some reasons why people reap only a small harvest. Reason number one, they sowed sparingly. When folks get a revelation of this, They will start liquidating their assets so they can get a lot of seed in the ground because they realize that is the secret to big harvest is big giving. It's more up to us than it is up to the Lord. Unless the Lord leads us with a specific amount, we will make the decision of how much we are going to sow. In making that determination, we are determining the size of our harvest. God is not the one who determines the size of our harvest. We do. Based on our past giving, that is what determines the kind of harvest we are reaping today. 2 Corinthians 9.6 Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's really quite simple. Little measure, little harvest. Big measure, big harvest. Gigantic measure, gigantic harvest. So instead of bumping up our standard of living, with the harvest we just received, let's sow that seed in the ground and reap an even bigger harvest next year. If we just keep doing that for a few years, we will have so much increased, we won't be able to contain it. It's those first few years when we are starting out on this, our decisions in this area of giving will either delay or speed up our harvest. Our level of prosperity tomorrow is determined on how disciplined we are today, whether we eat all our seed or not. Our seed is precious. 
and if we are wise, we will sow as much of it back in the ground as possible. So our level of prosperity tomorrow is determined on how disciplined we are today. Luke 6.38, Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Have a vision to increase your sowing. Budget all your finances around it. Ask God for wisdom as to what and where to sow. Next, I would like to share an incredible illustration that I found from Believe It or Not by Ripley. It will illustrate the law of increase for us. This principle has been so powerful for mankind when worked in the natural. Just imagine how powerful it is going to be for us when we use the word of God as our incorruptible seed. The harvest will just blow us away. Instead of just reaping wheat, rice, and cotton, we will start reaping new births, healings, prosperity, peace, love, and joy. It all began with Perry Hayden of Tecumseh, Michigan, inspired by a biblical quotation found in John 12 verse 24. He began an experiment of sowing and reaping in connection with tithing. His plan was to begin by sowing one cubic inch of wheat and after tithing from the harvest to sow the entire 90% back into the ground. This was to continue for six years. Perry planted a cubic inch of wheat in 1940 and by 1946 the harvest was 75,000 bushels of wheat valued at $150,000. Now remember, that was 1946. Can you imagine how much that would be worth today? So in the first year, he sowed one cubic inch, or 360 kernels, on a 4 foot by 8 foot plot of ground. One bushel equals 2,150 cubic inches at $4 per bushel. So one cubic inch is worth $0.0018. The harvest was 50 cubic inches or 0.023 bushels, which equals 9 cents, a 50-fold return. The tithe was 5 cubic inches, worth around $0.009. Every effort was made to save every kernel. Now by the sixth year, he sowed 5,000 bushels on 2,666 acres, harvested 72,150 bushels, worth $288,600. The tithe was $28,860, 360 kernels became $55 billion. At the end of this experiment, it was calculated that if the average farmer in the area had done the same experiment, continually re-sowing 100% rather than 90% after tithing, and at a high yield of 30 bushels per acre, the sixth harvest would have been 5,297 bushels. But with tithing, Mr. Hayden's harvest was 72,150 bushels, which is 13.5 times greater. In John 12, verse 23, Jesus said the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You can't outgive God. Job chapter 1, verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. This generation of Job and Abraham 
did not know anything other than God blessing them financially through the covenant. You can't sell that old lie of the devil that God brings poverty on all of us to keep us humble to the Jewish folks. Their Bible does not say that, neither does ours. The source of that kind of teaching apparently came from Zen Buddhism. Through the study of Eastern religion by European people at the turn of the 19th century, that philosophy worked its way from there and started a trend of poverty vows and poverty oaths which are not in the Bible nor a part of the New Covenant, but is actually in violation of the covenant. Then it came over into North America. Reason number two, they did not sow in good ground. The seed sowed into the hard, stony, and thorny soil does not produce a harvest at all, and so was wasted. Mark chapter 4 talks about four kinds of soil. Verse 15 talks about the seed along the path. Verse 16, the seed sown on rocky places. Verse 18, seed sown among thorns. In verse 20, seed sown on good soil. We can have good seed and sow a lot of it, but if the ground is not good, we're not going to get a very good harvest. However, if we put the very same seed into very good ground, we would have a much larger yield or harvest from that seed because the ground is going to produce of itself accordingly. Mark chapter 4 verse 28. Jesus said, All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. All ground is not automatically good ground. Some is average, poor, good, or great ground. Therefore, we will get a harvest based on the quality of ground we have sowed into. Not all ministries and ministers are of the same caliber of quality. The main thing is to be led by the Holy Spirit and not waste good seed. So how do we determine what constitutes good ground? Even in the natural, you can look at a field and observe the kind of results that it produces as an indication of the type of soil it is. Just as in the natural, it is possible to waste seed, so it is in sowing money into people and ministries. That is why it is so important that we be led as to where we give. So keep your spiritual and natural ears open and look for opportunities to give, because it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said that we would know people by their fruit. The Holy Spirit is not going to lead you to sow into bad soil and so waste your seed. Don't assume that the ground that is good today will remain that way tomorrow. Keep checking. So it's not wise for us to go around and randomly throw our financial seed all over the place, giving by impulse or based on need alone. Rather, as I keep on reiterating, let's be led by the Holy Spirit. Reason number three, they forfeit the blessing of God. In the natural, when a developing crop does not have the proper balance between rain and sunshine, those factors will affect the outcome of the harvest. These are conditions that are outside of our control. This is God's part. When he blesses our seed by providing the right elements to cause it to grow, we are therefore dependent on God in the natural and spiritual realms as the author of life to make provision for our lives and sustain the elements. Mark chapter 4 verse 26. And Jesus said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. 
Matthew 5, verse 43. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Acts 14.15 We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless idols to the living God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. In the Bible, rain is a type of spiritual blessing. No matter how hard we work, if God does not bless it, it's not going to flourish. So what is the key to receiving the blessing of God on our giving? Rain and sunshine. By obeying God's commandments, walking by the truth of his word, which is to walk in love. Psalms 127.1 Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. 1 Peter 3.7 Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. If our motives are not right, we are friends with this world, and we are living lukewarm Christian lives, we're not going to have the blessing of God. James chapter 4 verse 1 What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. They may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He caused to live in us envies intensely? If we are not obedient to the Lord's plan, purpose, and pursuit for our lives, that grieves Him, and we lose the blessing of God in our lives, and consequently the kind of harvest we are expecting to receive. Isaiah one nineteen: If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel you will be devoured by the sword. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Reason number four, allowing the thief to come in to kill, steal, and destroy. Yielding to our flesh and treating people wrong opens the door to the devil to devour our harvest. It matters how we live and how we treat other people. Walking in love will always keep us on the side of God's blessings for our lives. John 10.10 in the Amplified, Jesus said the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Ephesians 4.25 Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. If we are not vigilant in watching our crop, the enemy will come in and totally devour our harvest. Satan has no desire in seeing God's covenant people prosper and further God's kingdom on the earth. We could have the right ground, 
seed, fertilizer, and conditions, but if we don't exterminate the pests that seek to eat our harvest, it will all be for naught. We have to use the name of Jesus to rebuke the enemy in order to keep his hands off our material harvest that is coming in. The Holy Spirit will lead us, and we can see economic trends that would hinder our channels and take authority over them in Jesus' name in advance. Also, the enemy will manufacture circumstances of life in order to rattle our confidence in God and His Word. Stay the course. When trials, tests, and temptations come, it's just the enemy trying to gain access to our lives and our harvest. Just say no in Jesus' name. Reason number five, they did not discern their harvest or only part of it. People did not even realize that they need to discern the harvest in order to reap it. I am talking about discerning the timing of the harvest when it's ready. People may think that the harvest is at a different time than it really is. It's like baking something in the oven, and if you pull your apple pie out too early, it's all gooey and sticky because the dough has not cooked completely through. It's not ready. But if you wait too long, then it's burnt and overcooked. For many things in life, timing is everything. This principle also applies to discerning the right time to reap our material harvest. John 4 verse 35, Jesus said, Do not say four months more and then the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees in Luke 12.56, Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? If our crop is ready right now, but like the disciples we think is going to be four more months, what happens? There are several elements that we have to discern about the harvest. Number one, where is the harvest at? Location, location, location. Number two, when is the harvest ready? And then number three, discern how much of the harvest there is in order to know how much to claim. How can we discern that the harvest is ready? We have already said If we plant something today, we're not going to reap it tomorrow. The Bible uses the phrase due season in reference to the timing of a harvest, naturally and spiritually speaking. So clearly, there is some time that needs to elapse between planting and harvesting. When it comes to sowing material things and finances, if we don't know which channels God is going to use to bring it back, and we don't know the exact timing, how can we possibly be at the right place at the right time. However, we can, by the witness of the Holy Spirit, know when we are getting close to our harvest. If we learn to pay attention to the leading of the Spirit of God inside of us, according to Romans 8.14, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. John 16.13, Jesus said, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not be speaking on His own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. 1 John 2.20 But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. So what are we going to do when the Holy Spirit gives us a witness that we are close to a harvest? Begin to thank God for it, and pray in tongues for the details to be worked out. 
Another indicator is a supernatural anticipation of joy that comes from God. Our heart will be overflowing with joy and our mind will be wondering what's going on. What are we so excited about? Romans 8.26 In the same way the Spirit of God helps us in our weaknesses, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. There is a season for sowing, waiting, and harvesting. The Spirit of God leads us through all three seasons. The key to all three is faith, hope, and love, extenuated by righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Faith is always preceded and followed by the joy of the Lord, because our joy is the note of victory. It says, I have trusted in God to make His word good, so I am full of joy and I've got the victory. When we believe the report from God's word on a matter, it is always witnessed by a testimony of joy. So when we give in joy, knowing that we are making an investment that has a multiplied return, that is faith, and it pleases the Lord. We wait in joy, and through faith and patience, look for a future harvest. In the course of time, when the harvest time comes, we praise God for the increase in our lives. Romans 14.17 For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 53.1 Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah 9.3 You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. Psalms 126 verse 5 Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Jesus had a keen sense of timing during his life and ministry on earth. If a person were to say, how will I know when the hour has come? If we do not know that it is time, it's not. When it's time, we will have that knowing, a witness in our spirit by the Holy Spirit, that now is the time, so get ready. So are we listening? Praying in tongues is very helpful at this point. On that note, we should study and put into practice the principles of being led by the Spirit of God and how to do those things that will keep us sensitive to discerning, His leadings and promptings, staying full of the Word and the Holy Spirit. Acts 6.5 They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. We can sense in our spirit when the harvest has come. John 2.4 Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not come. John 12.23 Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Luke 22.53 Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. Where are we reaping our harvest is significant. It is true that we don't know exactly how God is going to multiply our seed back to us, the exact channels he is going to use, and the exact time it's going to be. It's on a need-to-know basis. When we need to know, he reveals it to us. Until then, we are to walk by faith. So we can sense the period and season when we are getting close, but we still don't know the exact hour or moment when it comes. It's all part of walking by faith. However, there is a connection to reaping our harvest as it pertains to discerning where our harvest is at. The Lord will show us where our harvest is at 
Whether it's a business opportunity or ministry, a new job or a creative way to make money, then we have to take a step of faith to get it. Do it and pursue it by the grace of God. If we don't have faith to step into those new doors of open opportunities the Lord provides, then we'll never enjoy the fruit of it. Deuteronomy 8.17 You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. When Peter made his boats available to Jesus, he was sowing something into Jesus' ministry. Peter was a fisherman at the time, and for him to rent Jesus' boat was an investment. Peter had just finished all night and was probably very tired, and was anxious to get home and go to bed. After Jesus had preached to the crowd, it was harvest time for Peter. Jesus did not say, Thank you, Peter. You will get your reward when you get to heaven. Jesus is not a bum or a moocher. He does not take advantage of people. The smartest thing to do is to let Jesus use what we have. When the little boy gave his lunch to feed that multitude, who do you think the leftovers belong to? that little boy. So it was time for Peter to be blessed. So the Lord tells him to go back out onto the lake and let his nets down for another catch. In Luke 5 verse 1, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat, to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Now Peter and his companions had just cleaned their nets and put them away. And here is Jesus telling them to go back out on the lake. What if Peter went by how he felt and dismissed the master's offer? They would have missed out on a big blessing from the Lord. It took faith for Peter to reap in his harvest. Thankfully, he took Jesus at his word and received a big catch of fish. We need to realize that we have more to do with our prosperity than we realize. God never fails in doing his part. So when we fail to receive, who is left to blame? The devil, our spouse, or pastor? No, we are responsible for sowing in faith, waiting by faith, and reaping by faith. There are countless times when God's people have given their time and treasure and waited on God for their harvest, and when it finally came in, the Lord said, Here it is. Walk through this door of opportunity. Take this step of expansion. Get involved here. Start this business there. Here is the harvest you've been believing for. But what if they did not have enough faith to seize the opportunity and trust God to act on it? It means we did not discern where our harvest was, so we do not reap it. We have to take the steps of obedience to eat the good of the land. 
Faith is not just claiming and expecting a harvest, but faith is also taking the steps of obedience to receive and reap the harvest in. Faith is a noun, and to believe is a verb. An analysis of these two words may help us in trusting the Lord. Believing, being a verb, is an action word. It really means taking hold of. To believe in a biblical sense means to take or to grasp. To believe in Jesus means to take Jesus for what the scripture declares him to be. To believe on Christ as a savior means to take Christ as my savior, personalized. To believe in Christ as a healer means to take him as my healer and recognize him as our great physician. So corresponding action would be to declare him from our lips and by our actions that he is our healer. Believing is an act of the will. When I believe, I have acted. Having acted, I have laid hold of what the Bible calls faith. Bible faith has corresponding action. There is always something I do in response to what the Bible says I am or directed to obey. Confession of God's word turns into believing God's word, which results in doing God's word in order to receive the blessings of God. James 2.14 What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God, well good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The rest of God is to stand on his word, claim it as our own, speak it out of our mouth, and apply the truth to every fact of life that we encounter. It may be a fact that we are struggling financially, but the truth that supersedes facts is that my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, according to Philippians 4.19. Coming into the greater harvest is not for the timid or scared. It means more work, sacrifice, commitment, and going out on a limb by faith in response to God's direction and leading. But it is sure worth it. The harvest will come in the form of new contracts, job promotions, and new opportunities. The question is, will we get up and go out and pursue it? The harvest will not just fall in our laps like ripe cherries from a tree. Harvest infers work, effort, and labor to bring it in from the fields of provision that God has provided. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to act on those creative ideas and witty inventions that come from the Lord for new products, 
services, and businesses. When the Lord leads us to receive more education and training, it's in preparation for new opportunities, to increase our earning potential to be a greater blessing. But it takes faith to do those things. And if we fail to act, we are failing to discern the Lord's harvest. Proverbs 8.12 I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. Deuteronomy 28.8 The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. Here's another example. Consider Isaac, who at the time was in the land of Canaan, and there was a great drought. Folks were going down to Egypt to escape the famine, and Isaac was about to go down to Egypt himself. But the Lord told him to stay, and God would bless him. Genesis 26.1 Now there was a famine in the land, besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. Well, it took faith for him to stay put, and it seemed foolish for him to plant seed, seeing that there was a drought going on. But what did the Lord do for him? A hundredfold crop during famine. I am sure his neighbors were laughing at him as he was sowing the seed. What if Isaac did not obey God by faith? He would have missed out on his hundredfold harvest. So in order for these prosperity principles to work, we have to take the necessary steps in order to reap the harvest. God has his part, and so do we. Genesis 26.12 Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. How many times throughout life have we overlooked those little nagging ideas that would not go away for a long time? When we give up on them and say, nah, I can't do that, how would that work anyway? Unfortunately, in the course of time, When we fail to act, that wonderful window of opportunity from God just fades away and is forgotten. Ephesians 5.15 Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. God has plans for our lives, but He requires our faith to act on and obey His directions in order for them to become a reality. So be sensitive and don't be scared. When the Lord tells you to act, you will not lose everything you have and become destitute. But some will say, how will I know it's the Lord and not just me? That is where learning how to be led by the Holy Spirit is so important. First, the idea can't violate scripture. The Lord will not lead us to become a drug dealer. Next, do we have peace in our spirit about it? As we think on it and talk about it, does the Holy Spirit bear witness to it? with peace in our heart about it. I like what it says in Isaiah thirty twenty one, Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Third, I like to use the test of time. If it's God today, it will be God tomorrow or next week. Just don't wait too long to act. So if you are still not sure, just pray about it and wait on God until you know. Now the timing may very well be later on in the future. But that only means that the Lord has given you a heads up about it now so you can start preparing for it 
and praying it out. God always gives us something to do in the meantime. Time is precious and should never be wasted. Jeremiah 29.11 For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Isaiah 40.29 He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But when you know it is time, and you are settled in your heart about it, be strong in the Lord and step out in faith. Walk on water with Jesus. Joshua 1 verse 6 Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to your forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So, we have been saying, if we discern when the harvest is ready, through a supernatural revelation of joy, as we get close to it, it will also be revealed to us which steps the Lord will lead us to take that new job, opportunity, or creative business ministry idea, or someone just blessing us with a gift. Reason number six, we need to discern how much of the harvest we're going to receive. Here's an important question that needs to be answered. Do we know how much our giving has been in the past year? Are we keeping track of what and where our seed has been sown? We need to journal that information. Also, did we first check to see if that ground we sowed in, was it good ground? Next, ask yourself, What a 30, 60, or 100-fold return on that investment in God's kingdom would be. There has been a lot of discussion on how much of a return we should expect to have. Again, we go back to the natural examples God has provided for us. For example, when it comes to planting a bushel of wheat to an acre of land, it is not uncommon to reap 40 to 60 times as much in a good year. That's how it works in the natural. Folks who think, We should not expect to receive anything from our giving are misguided and misinformed to plain scripture. As Jesus often said, according to your faith, be it unto you. So look at your giving and multiply that by 50 times. That should be a really big number. Now the next question is, are we really expecting all that to come in? For most Christians, they really are not expecting that to happen. Well, that is the problem then because Jesus made many references to the fact that people receive from God in proportion to their faith. What would you think of a farmer who had a bumper crop of 100 acres and only reaped 20% of it, quit and went home? Yet that is what so many of us have done, with our little faith that only reaps a little amount of a much bigger harvest that is at our disposal. Therefore, we do not reap according to what we have sown, We reap according to our faith to receive. I'm going to say that again because it's so important that we get it. We do not reap according to what we have sown. We reap according to our faith to receive. Matthew 6.29 Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith will be done to you. And their sight was restored. Mark 5.34 Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. 
Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Matthew 17:19. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. In the natural, if a harvest is not reaped, it will not stay out there forever. It will rot and deteriorate. However, that does not apply to spiritual harvests. They are incorruptible. So those harvests we have not reaped are still out in the field waiting to be gathered in. So let's go back out and reap them. I am not talking about figuring out the harvest to the penny and be overly legalistic about it, but we need to have a general idea. Our expectations are generally way lower than the reality of God's provision that is available to be reaped. So oftentimes, we fall way too short. So keep track of your giving and what you should be expecting to come in, in a ballpark manner of speaking. How else will we know if we have received all there is to the harvest? Perhaps we're leaving half of it still out in the field. A lot of people wonder why others reap a bigger return than some. A lot of times, it has to do with their faith. Reap it all in. Matthew 6.19 Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 1 Timothy 6.18 Command them to be good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Yet some will say, Yeah, well, brother, if I just have my needs met and my bills paid, I'll be content with that. Well, aren't you just a selfish little rascal? If that is the way you feel and think, what about other people, the church, the poor, missions, the kingdom of God, and your family. If you just want to get by on a little handful, then that's your business. But use your faith to be a greater blessing to others. Consider the parable of the talents. The principle to be had from this is to invest God's resources in order to receive a multiplied return. That means everything God puts in our hands, including money. Matthew 25 verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey he called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the one who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, You entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. 
So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's an interesting account when the children of Israel were taken possession of their promised land. The tribe of Joseph came to Joshua and said, We need more land. We are a large people, and the allotment you gave us is not big enough. So they were putting pressure on him to do something about their situation. But Joshua straightened them out and pointed out a mountain and a valley area next to their territory to go and take possession of it for themselves. However, they responded that the Canaanites and the giant descendants of the Rephaimites were there. But I thought they were a great and numerous people. That is just like so many faith people today who make all these claims, but when they face a little opposition, they come back whining. I don't have enough. I need more money in a bigger house. And they want you to do something for them. But I thought they understood faith and how to receive God's provision for their lives. So the people of Joseph just needed encouragement from Joshua to trust God and act on his word and possess the land they wanted. Joshua seventeen fourteen. The people of Joseph said to Joshua, Why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? We are a numerous people and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. If you are so numerous, Joshua answered, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up into the forest and clear land for yourselves there in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaimites. The people of Joseph replied, The hill country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who live in the plain have iron chariots, both those in Beth Shan and in its settlements, and those in the valley of Jezreel. But Joshua said to the house of Joseph, To Ephraim and Manasseh, You are numerous and very powerful. You will have not only one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. Clear it, and its farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have iron chariots, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. Look at what is said in Joshua chapter 18 concerning one of the other tribes of Israel. I believe that there is a spiritual application for us today that God is asking of his people. How long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the promises of God in my word? Out of the twelve tribes of Israel, only five had made any substantial claims on the inheritance that God had given them. So what were the others waiting for? Over half still had not taken possession of what God had given them. I believe that this is representative of the body of Christ today, that over half have not entered into their glorious inheritance in Jesus Christ. And it is not because God had not given it to them. Long ago, God had told them it was theirs, and they were to go up and take possession of it. Unfortunately, they have not had enough faith to go up and take it. Joshua 18 verse 1 The whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Sheol and set up the tent of meeting there. The country was brought under their control, but there were still seven Israelite tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. So Joshua said to the Israelites, How long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? So some tribes took full possession of the land they needed, but other tribes, like the tribe of Joseph, took only a little bit. 
whining for more to be given to them. So there were others that had not even taken a foot of ground yet. So Joshua told the tribe of Joseph, Just go and take as much as you want. Trust God to win your battles for you, and you take possession of it. It appears that Judah took on more than what they needed. Isn't it interesting that this tribe, the lineage through whom Jesus came, the chosen ones, the praising ones, the faith bunch, took more. When they got to taking the land, they got carried away and took more than they really needed. So the tribe of Simeon was able to cash in on their conquests. Did the Lord rebuke the tribe of Judah from taking too much? No. We need to get delivered from this religious junk that keeps people timid about pressing into their inheritance in Christ, from being fearful of taking too much and offending the Lord. Well, if the Lord wants to give me something, he can. I just want to be polite. Then people get upset because they are not able to enjoy much in God. Joshua 19 verse 9, The inheritance of the Simeonites was taken from the share of Judah, because Judah's portion was more than they needed. So the Simeonites received their inheritance within the territory of Judah. Interestingly, when the young son in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 verse 11 to 32 boldly asked for his inheritance early, the Bible does not paint that in a bad way. It's what he did with it that was bad, wasted it on prostitutes and wild living. His father did not rebuke him for asking for his share of the inheritance. And what does the father in this story represent? The father God, of course. The father in this story divided his estate between both of his two sons. You know the story. The young son went out and blew it all, was in poverty, and then came to his senses. He returned to his father's house and was restored back as a son, and they killed the fatted calf in his honor. Now the older son heard about it and was so mad that he accused his father of being unfair and never giving him anything. Again, this is representative of many in the body of Christ who serve God, but are not partaking of what already belongs to them through faith, and they blame God for not having anything. I work hard for you, Lord. Why am I still driving an old car? But what was the father's response? Look, son, all that I have is already yours. So why have you not just helped yourself to what already belongs to you? The father made no apology to his older son. Because when the young son received his inheritance, so did the older son. The problem with the older son and so many in the body of Christ today is they did not discern his own harvest, who he was and what he already had. That is not the father's fault. If the older son did not have the faith or the boldness to appropriate it, the father basically was saying, son, don't wait for me to come with a silver spoon and stick it in your mouth. If you wanted a ring, you know where the jewelry box is. So help yourself. It is already yours. The problem is the older son thought he was being humble by not asking and so doing without. James 4.2 You do not have because you do not ask God. Can you see the two extremes here? One son who was too selfish and the other son was too religious. Let's get in the middle of the road. Luke 11 verse 9 So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Luke 12.32 Jesus said, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And in Luke 17 verse 20, once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, 
The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Luke twenty-two twenty-nine, And I confer on you a kingdom, just as the Father conferred one on me. Remember the parable of the friend who came at midnight? What was the central point of that parable? To receive, we have to be bold in our asking. The reason a lot of people don't ever ask is either because of fear or pride that holds them back. Ignorance and wrong thinking at the root. If God's children are without, it's not because it's not available. They have not taken hold of it through faith, which boldly receives what is already ours. We have to think, claim, and expect big and stay with it until we get it all. Then our brothers and sisters who have not figured out how to get it yet, like Judah sharing with the tribe of Simeon, we can share with them. Blessed to be a blessing in order to give lots to the gospel and to other people as well. Jesus said in Luke 11 verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. God bless. I highly encourage you to continue listening to the Word of Life Study Series podcast and encourage your friends to tune in as well. The scriptures encourage us in Acts chapter 17 verse 11 to receive the message with great eagerness and to examine the scriptures every day in order to confirm the truth that you're hearing. God's word is our final authority for all matters that pertain to life and godliness. I'd like to close this episode by praying over you according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when God raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And in chapter 2, verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Be blessed and see you soon.